Tonight, fire and homicide. And it literally took minutes to be fully engulfed. The mystery inside this Langley home. Nine years after a brutal beating, why is a transit police officer still on the force? And all hail spring. The storm in Alberta and the incredible destruction it left behind. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening, Colleen Chris tonight. We begin with a terrible scene in a Langley neighborhood this weekend. Fire erupted at a house in Willowbrook last night, engulfing the entire structure. Now homicide investigators are trying to determine what led to the deaths of three people at the home. Grace Key reports and a warning. The following story includes disturbing images. Three people are dead after a fire destroyed a Langley home on Saturday. One death has been ruled a homicide. The cause of death for the other two bodies has not been determined yet. The fire started around 5.30 in the evening on Wakefield Drive near 197th Street. When I got out here, the house was already uh, engulfed in flames. And we were standing on the front lawn here. And the house, you could feel the heat. And we're a couple hundred feet away. And it literally took minutes to be fully engulfed. Police found a man's body at the back of the house. His injuries indicated he had been murdered. Investigators say he is a resident of the home. Two other bodies were found inside. They have not been identified yet. According to neighbors, a man was rescued on the second level of the home. The next-door neighbor says she was bathing her children when her husband came running into their home. The neighbor's house was on fire, and like the sky went black. Um, the smoke just started billowing in. When he came in through the back door, I just ran to the bathroom, grabbed my kids, we ran outside. There's no word yet on the cause of the fire. Neighbors say a couple rented the home, that they were ideal renters, and there were never any problems. Grace Key, Global News. In the Okanagan, police in Oliver are also investigating a homicide. Officers were called to a home in the 6,000 block of Sandpoint Drive at about 11.30 last night. A man was found dead of gunshot wounds. The Southeast District Major Crime Unit has taken over the investigation. RCMP say the shooting was targeted and the public is not at risk. No arrests have been made and no suspect named. For the second straight day, protesters have shut down a major route into and out of downtown Vancouver. Anti-racism demonstrators continue to block the Georgia and Dunsmuir viaducts. Organizers of the protest have refused to comment, but a social media post in part says we are reclaiming the Dunsmuir and Georgia viaducts to honor the black life and community that once thrived in these exact streets. On-ramps for the viaducts were built on Hogan's Alley, a hub for black citizens before 1970. Vancouver police say they continue to monitor the situation, but it's not known when the protest will end. It began yesterday, the same day a rally was held in Crab Park. A judge has issued an injunction ordering tent city residents to leave, but so far they remain. Transit service at Bridgeport Canada Line Station was temporarily an alarming discovery. A possible grenade was found on board a transit bus at the bus loop this morning. The RCMP's explosive disposal unit was called to the scene to remove it. Normal traffic resumed a couple of hours later. No word if the device was real or not. 
A suspect has been arrested in a random attack on a woman in the capital city yesterday, eight hours after the unprovoked assault, which was captured on surveillance video. Victoria police say a patrol officer was flagged down by a man near police headquarters. The man was identified as the suspect in the body slamming attack on a 29-year-old woman and arrested without incident. Starting tomorrow, passengers on BC Ferry sailings 30 minutes or longer will have to bring a mask on board. As part of new Transport Canada rules, anyone over two years old must have a face covering affixed by ties or ear loops and be ready to wear it when physical distancing is impossible. Customers don't have to show proof of a mask, but if they say they don't have one during screening, they will be denied boarding. Ferry workers are concerned this could subject them to more abuse from passengers. Safety first, I wear it for my elders, you know yeah. what I mean? I believe the, you know, better safe than sorry, ounce of prevention, pound of cure, right? I recently bought it, yeah. like a couple days ago. Yeah, okay. so you're okay with that? That's a good policy? Yes, it is. Just to keep everyone safe, you would think by now people uh, kind of have that in their psyche, unfortunately. Exactly, so. the new norm. The new norm for now, yeah. Well, we are well into phase two of BC's restart. Could we soon begin phase three? Let's bring in our Keith Baldry for more on that. Uh, Keith, health officials have said mid-June could be the beginning of the next phase. So what are you hearing? Yeah, Dr. Barney Henry won't put out a precise date yet, but she has said she wants to see two incubation periods since we started reopening. You do the math, each incubation period is 14 days long. We open on the 19th of May. Uh, so I'm looking at Wednesday potentially is the first day of phase three. But she wants to see the case numbers. We haven't seen any since Friday. And if we see high numbers uh, yesterday, today, and tomorrow, that may be pushed back a, a, a ways. She has opened the door to perhaps late June being phase three. But if all goes according to plan, and uh, to the best delayed plans, uh, we could be looking at a Wednesday reopen. What, now, what does phase three look, at, look like? Take a look at this list of things. First of all, the travel within province will, can begin under phase three. And again, within the province, not, not certainly not crossing the border, uh, but now uh, travel is limited to only essential services, essential travel right now. That will change with phase three. Now, with travel comes parks and campgrounds. There's going to be more provincial parks and more campgrounds open in phase three. A lot of people have been asking why some parks are open some aren't. It's a gradual reinstatement of the park system. Hotels and resorts are the next on the list. They will be allowed to reopen. In fact, the famous Empress Hotel over here and the Grand Pacific Hotel in Victoria, the two main hotels are going to open here next week if all goes according to plan. One sector that should get going is a domestic film production, uh, not international, but domestic film uh, will be allowed to uh, start again obeying uh, physical distance rules. And finally, and this was likely not till July, Jordan, select entertainment such as movies, movie theaters, and some symphonies, but certainly not mass concerts or festivals. That's not coming back until phase four. And phase four, of course, won't occur until we actually get a vaccine. And that's still far off in the distance. Reminder, tomorrow we'll get our first uh, uh, briefing from Dr. Ronnie Henry and Adrian Dix, the health minister, in a few days. It'll be interesting to see, Jordan, what those case numbers have been like the last few days. All right. We look forward to that. Thanks a lot, Keith. Nine years after a UBC student was beaten by transit police in an assault captured on video, one of two officers involved is still with the force. BC's police complaint commissioner ordered an internal probe days after the August 2011 incident. And despite a six-month time limit for investigations, Police Act proceedings continue. Here's Kristen Robinson. SkyTrain surveillance captured it all. 
Constable Edgardo Diaz-Rodriguez delivering 10 baton strikes to a UBC football player's head, neck and back. I just got hit so many times that I thought I was going to get like beaten to death. The blows that crushed his CFL dreams dealt in nine seconds. Almost nine years later, Diaz remains on the job as a police act probe drags on. I was shocked to find out that this is still continuing. Something's wrong with this system. The 22-year-old student was at Rupert Station to meet a friend in August 2011. When the friend didn't show, he left and was accosted over an unpaid fare. Despite providing his full name, he was arrested for obstruction. When he tried to flee, he was beaten. BC's police complaint commissioner ordered internal and external investigations and a retired judge review before Diaz was suspended with pay and proceedings were halted by a criminal investigation. Do you regret that night? In June 2016, Diaz was sentenced to 12 months probation after pleading guilty to assault causing bodily harm. Charges against his partner, who quit the force in 2012, were stayed. The PCC then called two public hearings over discipline authority findings. June 2018, the BC Supreme Court sided with Diaz and ordered a stay of proceedings, calling the delay unacceptable. The continuation would amount to an abusive process and would bring the Police Act disciplinary hearing procedures into disrepute. The PCC appealed, claiming Justice Harvey erred and the delays are beyond its control. At no point does the Chamber's judge consider the public's interest in having the incident critically reviewed at a public hearing. It is undeniable that such an interest exists. Permitting Diaz to avoid facing a public hearing carries with it a serious risk of bringing the Police Act disciplinary process into disrepute. BC's former top cop says the nearly nine-year process is unacceptable. People have to take responsibility as to why this went sideways. Transit police say their hands are tied. Once an investigation is underway under the Police Act, the police agency, chief, and police board do not have the ability to terminate that officer's Nobody's going to win at the end of the day, and the largest loser is going to be the taxpayer. Heat estimates the public is on the hook for more than $2 million so far. Kristen Robinson, Global News. And a footnote to the story, Diaz is arguing the appeal should be dismissed. His lawyer tells Global News his client has done all that he can do to admit what he did wrong and accept that he was accountable for his actions. He adds, it's unfortunate that the police complaint commissioner has not accepted the ruling of the retired and sitting justices. A transit officer was hurt while trying to arrest a man who was seen scrawling a swastika on board a SkyTrain. The incident happened at the Main Street station at about one yesterday afternoon. Passengers alerted transit police to what the man was doing. When officers tried to arrest him for mischief, transit police say he became irate and made racist comments towards an officer. During the ensuing struggle, an officer injured her knee. The man could face charges of mischief and assaulting a peace officer. A lawsuit has been filed in B.C. Supreme Court over the death of a man in Whistler. The family of Jason Kohler alleges that four RCMP officers used excessive force when they tried to arrest him on March 8th. The call initially came in as an intoxicated male in a restaurant. Officers deployed pepper spray, a taser and batons, they say to gain control of the man. He was pronounced dead in hospital. Kohler's family claims he was cooperative with police, 
was not armed and suffered from mental health issues. BC's police watchdog is still investigating the case. Trans Mountain is looking to restart its pipeline soon, despite a spill this weekend in Abbotsford. Up to 1,100 barrels of light crude oil spilled from its pumping station in Sumas, close to a local First Nation. Global's Paul Johnson has the latest tonight. At the Trans Mountain pumping station in Sumas, the unmistakable sight and smell of an industrial accident. Crews seen moving around the grounds, a lineup of environmental response vehicles, and the smell of petroleum in the air. Trans Mountain says the spill of light crude oil started late Friday night and was detected early Saturday morning when the pipeline was then shut down. Initial reports said about 1,500 liters had spilled onto the ground, but by late Sunday, that figure had grown tenfold to more than 150,000 liters about a thousand barrels worth. We're always reassured that it's not likely to happen. Seeing a spill of this proportion is is really shocking and, and I think reinforces our argument. Amita Kutner is a candidate for leader of the federal Green Party and had opposed the controversial Trans Mountain expansion project as a candidate for the Burnaby North riding that's home to the terminal. She's not the only one alarmed. I've been told it was a one-inch pipe that uh, had sprung a leak. Dalton Silver is chief of the neighboring Sumas First Nation, who get their drinking water from an aquifer and are concerned about the cumulative effects of spills. This is the fourth spill in the last 15 years. Three at the tank farm, that's is right above us, the Sumas terminal, and then this one now at Sumas Station, which is directly across Highway 1 from our village. Trans Mountain expects they'll be able to clean up all of the oil and say there's no threat to people or the environment. Their plan was to have the pipeline back up and running by Sunday afternoon. In Abbotsford, Paul Johnson, Global News. In West Kelowna, a girl was pulled into the waters of Powers Creek last night before being rescued by firefighters. Rescue crews got the call around 8.30 p.m. from a relative who saw the teen get swept away. After she went through a culvert that runs under six lanes of traffic, she was able to pull herself up on a rock and wait to be rescued. Our crews mounted what we call a swift water rescue. Uh, they were, we were able to send two firefighters in protective equipment out into the creek through the current, uh, make contact with the, the young girl. Uh, the crews then uh, made her safe, attached her to a rope system, put her, uh, her in a life jacket, uh, and then devised uh, a plan uh, in order to rescue her from the position that all three of them found themselves in. After first responders got the teen out of the creek, they used a rope rescue system to lift her up to paramedics stationed on the highway. The BC Conservation Service is warning the public after a dog was killed by a black bear in Prince George. It happened Friday morning in the Forest for the World Park. A man was walking his pet when the bear attacked. The dog did not survive. Bear spray was deployed and conservation officers say there have been no further sightings of the animal. People are being urged to be vigilant when outdoors and to keep their pets on a leash. Heavy hail damaging Calgary homes and smashing through car windows. A June thunderstorm brought tennis ball-sized hail and intense rain. Many areas also saw flash flooding. Well, Calgarians are in cleanup mode tonight after that devastating to a storm tore through the region. Global's Adam Toy reports. 
Rain, wind, and hail battered Calgary Saturday evening. Calgary's northeast was especially hard hit as city streets turned into rivers of ice balls and yards gathered so much hail they looked like snowdrifts. And funnel clouds spotted south of Calgary near Tabor and southeast of Lethbridge. Motorists were caught on roadways including Deerfoot Trail, drivers abandoning their vehicles for higher ground. Some lucky that they lived nearby. Then my vehicle hit it and then I had to park because it started smoking and then we had to run through. My daughter was with me and we had to run through the back alleys because there was less water. Right from my living room window we could see, you know, bigger than golf ball size hail and it came down like I've never experienced and I've lived in Calgary 30 years. Everything's destroyed, right? Lost two cars, siding on the house, um, you know, it, it sounds really silly but put a lot of work into the kids garden this year because of COVID. Businesses were also hit by the severe weather. When the drain pipe for the roof of this building burst, both the art store above and bookstore below were damaged just weeks after reopening because of the pandemic. Well, at first glance, I'm thinking 10 to 15% of what, what is damaged has really been unsalvageable. Two inches of water across the bottom of the store. Water still dripping in. Um, thousands of books wrecked. Kind of out of words. Like we're, we're, taking, we're taking thousands of books and just throwing them in the garbage, right? Some of those I just got yesterday. Emergency crews worked through the night to direct traffic and rescue people from submerged vehicles. It was a long night, a very eventful night for everybody involved. Um, and I can tell you that uh, some of our officers' vehicles were impacted as well. Uh, and we have experienced some damage to vehicles as well as a little bit of flooding. And cleanup continues as some Calgarians dig out from this latest storm. Adam Toy, Global News. The Okanagan connector got hit with a blast of snow overnight, just when you thought it was safe to get rid of your winter tires. Well, these webcam photos from Drive BC, Drive BC pardon me, show the significant accumulation of snow at the summit. Environment Canada issued a weather alert for the connector this morning. Between two and five centimeters of snow was predicted before turning to rain this afternoon. Now to fears about an invasion in the Okanagan, an invasion of mussels. As Shelby Tom reports, a nonprofit group is hoping out-of-province boaters will take extra precautions when vacationing in B.C. this summer. It's one of the greatest threats to the Okanagan's pristine lakes and beaches. These are quagga mussels. Invasive zebra and quagga mussels could not only damage the valley-sensitive ecosystem, but have devastating effects on the local economy. If they were to come to the Okanagan, it would change our way of life. A nonprofit dedicated to keeping the pesky mollusks out of Okanagan waters fears an increase in domestic travel amid the coronavirus pandemic could spell trouble. The invasive mussels, which have infested Canadian lakes as far west as Manitoba, are spread by contaminated watercraft. We had originally thought that due to the pandemic, we would not see a lot of boater traffic here. But in actual fact, right across North America, uh, there's a significant increase. Last year, of 52,000 inspections, 22 watercraft were found with adult invasive mussels, including 16 from Ontario, three from Michigan, two from Utah, and one from North Carolina. We're really concerned about the movement of boats across Canada actually more so than um, potentially mussel-infested boats from the United States. The mussels are known to clog 
uptake pipes reduce water quality and the sharp shells can render beaches unusable. Out-of-province boaters are urged to clean, drain and dry their watercraft and to stop at one of inspection stations along their travel route. We're encouraging anyone coming from out-of-province to actually contact the Conservation Officer Service so that they can determine if they are high risk and require decontamination. The invasive mussels are not established in BC, but if that changes, Scott says it could cost taxpayers $43 million a year just to manage the problem in the Okanagan. Because if they arrive, we are going to only be managing them. We will never get rid of them. Shelby Tom, Global News. In New Brunswick, Indigenous leaders say they must be part of any investigation into the police-involved shootings of a woman from BC and a man near Miramichi. 48-year-old Robert Levi was shot and killed Friday night. The chief of the local First Nation says the man was invited to the home but was suffering from mental health concerns and the homeowners might have called police to have him peacefully removed. But police say Levi lunged at officers with knives. The force says multiple efforts to subdue him with a taser were unsuccessful, so an officer ended up shooting him. He later died in hospital. We want answers after that. However, they're going to try to provide those answers to us, but we need to be part of that, and we need to feel satisfied in that, in the, in the investigation. We do have a systemic racism. There's a, there's a heavy bias in the province as well, and it's, I don't just speak from like a perspective of MLAs. I mean it's throughout government, throughout the system. Uh, justice system, of course, as you know, is imposed on Indigenous peoples long ago. There's, not, there's no level of trust in that system. On June 4th, 26-year-old Chantel Moore from Vancouver Island was shot by an officer with the Edmonston Police Department. Police say the officer, performing a wellness check, allegedly encountered a woman with a knife. Quebec's police watchdog is investigating both cases. It is the latest death in America to draw condemnation and crowds. In Atlanta, the officer who shot Rayshard Brooks while chasing him in a Wendy's parking lot Friday night was fired. Today, the victim's family is calling for justice. Police have now released body cam footage of the confrontation. And a warning, the story contains disturbing content. Tonight, anger and frustration in Atlanta. Crowds gathering outside the fire-gutted Wendy's, where 27-year-old Rayshard Brooks was shot and killed by police during an attempted arrest. Isaac Lee, one of hundreds who came to pay respects. You've had a chance to kind of walk around and see the site. When you come here and you see the site firsthand, what do you feel? Uh, sadness. Disparity. Um... Afraid. You're afraid. I'm afraid because I'm afraid that this is not going to be the last time that this is going to happen. This eyewitness video shows a struggle between Brooks and the police officers. The father of four grabs a taser, runs away, and shoots towards police, who then returned with fatal gunfire. It's just a legitimate fight. Uh, it's a legitimate use of force. Steve Gaynor with Georgia's police union stands by the officer's actions, stressing the encounter changed when Brooks turned and fired the taser. Someone's running away. Is it okay to fatally shoot them? Only if they they attack you. Uh, he attacked the officer with the taser. And he then, fires at the officer with the taser. And then took off. That's all in an instant. Within 24 hours, Atlanta's police chief stepped down. The officer who shot Brooks was fired, and the other officer involved placed on administrative duty. There is no way from watching that videotape that that officer's life was in immediate danger. 
um, from a non-lethal weapon um, being pointed backwards. Attorney Chris Stewart represents the Brooks family and says police mentality has to change. Brooks' wife, Tamika, devastated by the loss of her husband, had to break the news to their daughter. I let my daughter know that her father was not coming. Uh, she said, what do you mean my father's not coming? And I said, well, he's not, he, he's not here anymore. And Mama, no, he's here. He stopped playing. He'll be here to get me. Meanwhile, massive protests for the third weekend took place across the country as thousands asked for police reform and accountability. Here in Atlanta, hundreds gathering tonight in support of Rayshard Brooks. And they understand the pain. And even though I'm unable right now to protest by them out there doing it, makes me feel amazing. Because if I had the strength to do it, I would be there myself. A photo from the UK of a Black Lives Matter demonstrator rescuing an injured counter-protester is going viral. In the powerful image, several anti-racism protesters are seen assisting the injured white protester. The picture was taken as hundreds of demonstrators, some of whom belong to far-right groups, clashed with police in London on Saturday. Police made 100 arrests while trying to keep both sides apart. Today is World Blood Donor Day, and a Surrey woman is hoping that by sharing her story, others will choose to donate. Gurjinder Burji is alive today thanks to blood donors. The mother of four suffered complications during her last pregnancy and needed 29 units of blood and plasma to save her life. Each year, she celebrates what she calls her second birthday, the day she was given a second chance. Because of that blood, I'm here today. I'm surviving, I'm living, I have my kids, I get to enjoy their life and even start, you know, have a healthy lifestyle myself. So I'm always, always, always grateful for those people who did donate blood because their donation, it was my life. Canadian Blood Services says demand has surged in the last two weeks as hospitals resume elective surgeries and procedures that were put on hold during the pandemic. The good news, though, in the last few months, there has been a 20% spike in first-time donors. For information on how you can donate, go to blood.ca. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. A soup and sweater type of weekend. <laughs> Let's get the forecast now from Yvonne. Totally. Sweater weather this weekend. It sometimes is called January for a reason. We had a mixed bag, and I'll show you what I mean in just a moment. But a quick glance, depending on where you are across Metro Vancouver, there are a few breaks out there. Temperatures have been on the cool side. This is a shot overlooking English Bay. We're sitting at 17. That's the high for the day today. The average for this time of the year sits closer to 19 degrees. We've got a southeasterly wind out of the airport sitting at 17 kilometers per hour. A couple of photos. This one was incredible, captured in Peachland, so thank you so much, Rick. And some breaks in Summerland. A double rainbow taken by Susan over the weekend, and a great shot of a double rainbow. You have to look to the top there, Burnaby Mountains, so thank you so much, Michael, for submitting that photo. Alright, this is day two of record low daytime highs. Yesterday, we had a handful. Today, this morning, or this afternoon, rather, getting up to a dozen. For example, in Vernon, a new high 
high of 11.8. The old record of 15.3 was set back in 2004. Kelowna getting up to 12.8. Summerland 13.4 and Chilliwack 13.8. Temperatures in the Okanagan, for example, typically sit into the low 20s, so below that. But it is really going to start to rebound, especially as we get in towards the work week more in just a moment. This is a shot earlier of what it looked like on the connector. We did have some video, and this is a current shot of what it looks like right now in the connector. So much dry, drier. The snow level is going to drop off once again, closer to 1,600 meters, and then rise for the day tomorrow back up to 2,000 meters. We do have a significant amount of rain on the way, or continuing rather for the northeastern corners, and this next weather maker is moving in across the south coast. We've been advertising a change on the way. And here's the timeline of what we're going to see across Metro Vancouver. Now, the heaviest wave of rain moving in overnight, continuing for Monday. That'll be the blip in the forecast. It'll be heavy at times, a cooler day. And then that same system is going to push in towards the interior with some of the heavier waves of rain by the afternoon. The rain continues for the northeastern corners of the province and a rainfall warning does remain in effect. A quick glance at the numbers for Metro Vancouver. So we're 10 degrees overnight. And for the day tomorrow, it's going to be a chilly one, another day with sweat weather and some soup and temperatures up to 14. 10 and potentially or 5 and up to 10 millimeters for most areas across Metro Vancouver with the system overnight and for the day tomorrow. But it's towards the northeastern corners with the rainfall warning that is in effect. For example, the piece today already seeing 30 and up to 50 millimeters and now there's an additional 20 and 50 and Fort Nelson uh, 15 up to 90 millimeters. That'll be the rainfall totals by tomorrow evening. So the northeastern corners, areas near the piece will start to to see that rain easing off as you approach the evening tomorrow. Long range forecast real quick. We are going to see a nice bump or ridge building in. Temperatures will start to bump up as we get in midweek and many spots away from the water into the low 20s. Rain will be heaviest for the morning along the north coast. The southern interior starts to see it pick up towards the afternoon. All areas across the south coast, a soggy one, rain and heavy at times. A cool day tomorrow, heads up 14 degrees and then it starts to rebound. For example, on Thursday, areas away from the water getting up to 23 paired with sunshine. Jordan? Yay for Wednesday. Thanks, Yvonne. We have an update now on the journey of a remarkable BC teenager who you first met last night. I'm okay. I'm all right. I'm just going to keep chipping away here. Darius Sam, a 19-year-old young man from Merritt, set out on a self-initiated ultra-marathon Saturday with the goal of raising money for his local food bank. Sam had planned to finish his epic 160-kilometer run today, but unfortunately... He had to be hospitalized as he neared the finish line. The good news is he has still far surpassed his initial fundraising goal of $1,000. Sam's journey has inspired people right across the province and raised more than $30,000 and counting in donations. His parents and his many supporters are bursting with pride. I've been crying for days. <laughs> Every time yeah. I think about it, it's, I get weepy. Yeah. It's... Yeah. It's hard to, hard to describe how it would feel. <laughs> he made it almost 90 miles uh, in 27 hours. So like, he gave it all he's got, gave it all, all he had for sure. Never been more proud of any friend. Like I just, uh, yeah, words can express how proud I, proud I am of Darius. Like, and his family, all his friends. This whole town is just over the top uh, for what he's done. Now, late word, just in, he checked himself out of the hospital, met up with his support crew, who were completing the run for him, and he finished the marathon. An amazing young man who's <laughs> inspired a lot of people. Well done. Mm-hmm.
clock and a lot of steps. You know, most people just trying to get in the 10,000 steps a day. This is taking it to another level. Totally. And he only did it with a few weeks of training. Yeah, running running on pavement hurts. It's tough. After a while, yeah. Barry, what's coming up in sports? Well, we'll have uh, the conclusion of the first PGA Tour event since uh, the COVID uh, uh, delay. They had about three months between tournaments, so they went to a playoff. And apparently there are ninja warriors amongst us down here in the lower mainland. We'll meet a, a young man from Port Coquitlam who actually built his own ninja course in his backyard. We'll have his story coming up. And I thought having a tree fort in the backyard. <laughs> yeah, cool this is pretty impressive. Yeah. Launched a Black Lives Matter gelato is apologizing and pulling the product. That's after receiving backlash about what some are calling a tone-deaf decision. Global's Cami Kepke reports. Righteous Gelato introduced the chocolate chip mint Black Lives Matter Gelato Friday, saying $5 from each pint would support efforts to combat systemic racism and advocate for racialized and marginalized communities. The company posted their new flavor on social media and it was immediately met with backlash online. I'm not a flavor, I'm not ice cream, I'm a human being. The product featured art by a white person, showing three people carrying Black Lives Matter signs and wearing masks that say, I can't breathe. The money raised was earmarked for Action Dignity, which is not affiliated with Black Lives Matter. When you are talking about um, advocating for black children, it's very important that you have very positive images. Um, What happens in the States is a very traumatizing experience. It's traumatizing for everybody black, okay? And I I, I believe it's traumatizing for anybody who has a heart. Mandy Stobo, the artist from Bad Portraits who approved her art for the BLM product, apologized and called the situation a wake-up call, adding, I recognize that I should have declined their ask and instead encouraged them to provide a paid opportunity to a BIPOC artist. Thank you for educating me, even though it's not your job. The people who created it, the marketing team or whoever behind it may have had the right intentions behind it, but they missed the mark completely. In a statement Saturday, Righteous Gelato says the company stands against racism, adding, in our intention of doing the right thing, we did the wrong thing, and that's not okay. There's no quick fix to the problems our world is facing with racism, and there is no quick fix for our failures in trying to help. Still, members of the black community say the whole thing could have been avoided by having a simple conversation. If you're trying to do something in that light, just reach out to Black Lives Matter organization or reach out to another organization that's fighting for freedom and see if they are okay with what you're trying to do. And then if not, then, you know, take a different marketing route. Just call. Just call. Just call somebody. Call Afros in the city. We now have a consultant team waiting to help every single person that um, needs this help. Righteous Gelato says all of its online profits in June will be invested in organizations that focus on black lives. The labels will be removed from the tubs of Black Lives Matter Gelato that have already been ordered. Cami Kepke, Global News. Well, the weather was perfect to stay inside and watch golf. Here's Barry. Yeah, it was pretty beautiful down in uh, Dallas-Fort Worth, uh, Jordan, around the uh, 35 Celsius. So it was a lot of sunshine down there, and the players didn't seem to be too affected by the layoff. The uh, PGA Tour returned this week at Colonial for the Charles Schwab Challenge, featuring 16 of the top 20-ranked players in the world, including the top five. And many of those players were in contention on this Sunday, but on the PGA Tour, literally 100 different guys can win. And today, one of those lesser lights came from off the pace to win in a playoff. 
kickoff. Windy day at Colonial in Fort Worth, Texas. Canadian Corey Connors started the day at 10 under, just three off the lead, but Connors really did not get anything going. Muffs his chip shot on the easy par five first, made bogey and stumbled his way to a one over 71, finished tied for 19th at nine under par. But hey, a top 20 on the tour, never a bad week. Leaderboard was crowded, about 10 players within a shot or two all day long. Justin Rose played alongside Connors today. Great approach at 13. He would make birdie, but Rose fell one shot short, finished at 14 under par. Buff Bryson DeChambeau put on 25 pounds of muscle during the three-month hiatus. Ashley took the lead with this birdie, but later bogeyed and finished tied with Rose for third at 14 under. Daniel Berger, two-time winner on tour, rolls in the birdie at the 14th, gets to 14 under par just on the final roll. 23-year-old American Colin Morikawa, 21 career PGA Tour events and has made the cut in all of them. Great iron game and obviously can putt as well. This one from 49 feet to tie for the lead. Meanwhile, back to Daniel Berger at 18. Needs to sink the birdie to tie for the lead and he does just that. So he posts 15 under par. Third round leader Xander Schauffele on the 16th. And this is a nice putt for Birdie, and he is tied for the lead at 15 under. It's a three-way lead, but on 17, little two-and-a-half-footer. Oh, the old violent horseshoe. That is cruel. Shoffley made bogey and finished in that group at 14 under par. It went to a two-man playoff, Daniel Berger and Colin Morikawa. First playoff hole. Berger just over the green, but a nice recovery here chips it to within a foot or so and taps that in for his par. Now Morikawa has a three-footer. This is the same hole Shoffley had the 360 lip out and would you believe it spits it out again. Same thing for Morikawa. Tough way to lose so Daniel Berger is the winner of the Charles Schwab Challenge at Colonial. Berger wins. All three of his tour victories have come in the second week of June. Corey Connors finished tied 19th along with Harold Varner. Adam Hadwin tied 43rd at 4-under. Jordan Spieth tied for 10th. Next week they head to Hilton, head to South Carolina for the RBC Heritage. Some of the best athletes uh, on TV these days are not professional hockey and football players, but people of all ages who are masters of the obstacle courses. Shows like American Ninja Warrior are very popular, and a young man from Port Coquitlam could very well be making an appearance soon, thanks to a unique home project built during the COVID lockdown. When Rory Jago says he's hanging out in his backyard, he's really hanging out in his backyard. The 13-year-old is the envy of the neighborhood after he and his dad and his older brother built this professional-grade ninja course. Welcome back to American Ninja Warrior Jr. That's right, you've seen it on TV, and it's a real sport. One of the fastest growing in North America, actually. And now Rory, who's a budding star, has his own personal training ground. I can, like, change it. I can make it harder or easier, like how I want, because we made it so we can switch it up. Like, we have a bunch of hooks up in the top, and we can switch around obstacles and all that. The motivation was the gym was all shut down and everything was basically halted through the pandemic and uh, just to get him back uh, exercising and staying out of the house and away from the video games, is, it was great. Mitch does have a background in construction, but he didn't do all the work. This was a real team effort. 
Well, I learned how to like measure out things, use drills, um, make concrete, all that stuff. I, I think it turned out great. I mean, just fantastic. I mean, our first uh, goal was just six posts, and then it just kept going and going and going. So the more ideas came, the more we built. Now that he can train every day, young Rory is improving by leaps and bounds. He placed eighth in his age group at the World Junior Finals in Minnesota a year ago, but won't be able to compete this year because of COVID-19. But he can practice, and there's more to it than just physical power and speed. Like part of the whole ninja thing, you have to plan how you're going to do it, um, what's the easiest way, what's the most efficient way, all that. That's right, the mind of a ninja is a powerful thing too. He's got the skills and determination to have all sorts of success in the sport, but that doesn't necessarily mean winning is everything. My ultimate goal, to be the best I can be. And that is the Ninja Warrior way. That is quite a setup in the backyard, so congrats yeah. to him and his dad and his brother for building that. Time now for tonight's Healthcare Hero. Who do we have tonight, Yvonne? Tonight we are honoring a mother-daughter duo. On the left is Karen Chapman, and she is an emergency nurse at Abbotsford Regional Hospital. Karen has been working tirelessly to help everyone she can during the COVID-19 crisis. And to the right is her daughter, Delaney, who is an Abbotsford paramedic and has been working day and night to help those in need during the pandemic. This mother-daughter duo is making their bond unbreakable and going through the crisis together on the front lines. So thank you both and thank you to your teams. If you have a healthcare hero to nominate, email us a few pictures to bchealthcareheroes at globalnews.ca and tell us why they are your hero. All right. Well, many parents and students have struggled with online instruction during this pandemic, but one UBC student is trying to ease that angst. She has created a network of tutors to help teach kids for free. Erin MacArthur reports. All right, let's take a look. Which ones do you know in French? Um, Soleil. Working with his tutor, Amy, Kyle Moe is learning about the solar system. With classes cancelled, Kyle has been meeting Amy once a week for the last month. His mom says the free sessions have been a welcome relief. He's in French immersion, so, and none of us speak French. And so when they said that they will offer some French tutoring sessions, I was like, on board. Mentoring the Stars was launched by UBC students Cassandra Heilbrunn and two other co-founders. As the pandemic hit, classes from kindergarten to university reduced to online only, and parents were left scrambling to fill gaps in learning. The three UBC students knew they could step up and help. The idea based on a program launched at UCLA. A lot of people have been struggling. Some people are lonely, some people have financial troubles, and some people are really struggling with their academics. The program first started to tutor kids of frontline healthcare workers. But it was so successful, and the need so great, it's now been opened to everyone. Dozens of tutors have volunteered, and more than 100 kids have registered. During the summer, we have asked some of our mentees whether or not they'd be willing to be tutored during the summer, and we've gotten a good response. And while the kids are getting extra study time, the tutors say the learning goes both ways. I see their progress that they're making every week, and it's truly one of the most rewarding things that I do every single week. And with learning expected to be a hybrid environment once September hits, the need for extra help will likely continue. Mentoring the Stars plans on being there to provide that help as long as it's needed. Aaron MacArthur, Global News.
Finally tonight, back to Darius Sam's remarkable journey to the finish line. Check out this video that just came in. Amazing, the 19-year-old Merit Man completed his ultra-marathon this evening despite the fact he was hospitalized briefly near the finish line. The setback didn't stop Sam, who checked himself out of hospital, met up with his support crew, who had stepped in for him and finished the last one to two kilometers of the race. Sam set out to raise money for his local food bank, and he's already generated more than $30,000 in donations. Well done. Congratulations. Perseverance, for sure. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Quick word on the weather, Yvonne. Uh, we are going to see the rain pushing in, especially late evening, overnight, a soggy and a cool day to Monday. And then it really starts to rebound Wednesday onwards. It'll warm up finally, and we'll have some sunshine in the forecast, too. All right, that is tonight's news hour. Thanks for watching. We will all be back later for Global News at 11. Good night.